Hey guys, welcome back to the Riding to Excellence podcast brought to you by Energy Equine Veterinary Services in Airdrie, Alberta. So the next few episodes that you're going to see on your uh, Riding to Excellence stream are a little bit different. On Friday, April 17th, for the first time ever, our company did a virtual lecture. So for those of you that are geographically close to us or are clients of ours and have been to our events before, every year we host we host what is called the Sports Therapy Lecture Series. It's generally three to four lectures that we host throughout the winter months. There are ways to provide education for clients, for us to see clients during the slow season, and uh, yeah, just really try to you know make connections with the community and give back in any way we can by providing education. And also we bring in speakers from the university, uh, sometimes body work, We've had Dave Elliott, a very well-known master bit maker. So there's a little bit of everything uh, throughout those lectures, and we have such a great time doing them. So when everything hit with uh, coronavirus and COVID-19, we had to cancel our last one of 2020. That was planned for March, and that was very, very sad for us. We were disappointed. And then, of course, we also were supposed to do quite a few talks at the main event in Red Deer, which was slated for April, and that was obviously canceled as well. So Quite a few of our talks were cancelled on us, which was very disappointing. And so, as a group, we decided to do the virtual Zoom lecture in place. Uh, we did it for free, no cost, anyone that joined. And just as a way for us to give back to you guys, we know so many of you are at home in self quarantine or isolation, and we wanted to uh, keep the education high and also kind of just do something interesting and fun and give back to our friends and clients that are stuck at home right now. So, this episode features Dr. Becky Tees and Megan Orange, our rehabilitation technician. Megan is an RVT as well, has gone through the SERP program at the University of Tennessee for rehabilitation. Dr. Tees and Megan talk about a multifaceted approach to rehabilitation in this presentation. Um, it's, it's a great presentation. I thought they did an excellent job talking about the many intricacies of rehabil- rehabilitation for our equine athletes. If you're a podcast person, that's why we posted the audio on Riding to Excellence today. But if you prefer to watch and uh, see the slides that correspond with this talk, please go to our YouTube channel, Energy Equine Veterinary Services, and you'll be able to get the whole picture of what happened uh, during the virtual lecture um, that way. So uh, yeah, we wanted to produce it on podcast in case you're a, a podcaster. But if you do want to watch the presentation, please head over to our YouTube channel. And uh, without further ado, I'll let Becky and Megan take it from here. My name is Louisa. I'm the director of marketing here at Energy Equine. I'm going to be moderating this virtual lecture. For those of you that have been at our real lectures before, usually I do that in real life. But uh, because of COVID-19, we're, we're trying something new today. It's a little, a little different. Um, so if everyone can keep their mics muted uh, until the end of the presentation, it's going to be about a 30 to 45 minute presentation. We had quite a few, um, quite a few questions come through ahead of time. I have those printed off and I'll ask them. But if you have a question, you're welcome to raise your hand. That's a function in the chat as well or the reactions. And then uh, you could also type it if you don't want to speak. Or if you're really brave, you could turn your microphone on and uh, you can ask a question as well at the end when uh, the questions are ready. I think we'll give it a cup, just a couple more minutes because we're just at 201 and lots of people are joining us right now. We're up to 56, which is so awesome. Hi, Candice. Hi, Jenna. Hi, Livia. So great of you guys to join us. We miss all of you. I'm sure you guys can see Becky and <laughs> Megan awkwardly. <laughs> Awkwardly watching me in the same room. All right. 
Let's give it a few more minutes. We hope you guys are all doing well and you're excited for today. Obviously, you guys can hop on and off as you want. It's going to be a pretty intensive three hours. So feel free to join in and out when you'd like to. And uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for joining us. I do have lots of giveaways. So you guys will want to be sticking around. I got tons of fun stuff. Someone's drawing on our screen. Are we hacked? <laughs> all right. I'm just going to give it two more minutes. We'll start off at... 202, up to 60 participants. So awesome. Hi, Becky, Denny. Thanks for logging on. Becky's one of our regular real life lecture attendees. Oh, Delaney Vett is here. Oh, hi, guys. How's it going in Edmonton? Uh, is, there, is there sound on? I can't hear anything. Tammy, if you, if you try to press your own sound on your own computer, that might help you. I'm going to message you back because you probably can't hear me because your sound's off. Audio in the... Oh, Tammy got it. That's great, Tammy. <laughs> All right. Okay, where are we at? Oh, Andrew is here. A Andy, our, uh, our soon-to-be newest veterinarian, has joined us. I don't know where Andy is uh, living right now. Saskatoon. Is she in Saskatoon? Elise says, thanks for putting this on. Thanks for joining us, Elise. We are up to 69 participants. Hi, Joan. Glad you picked up your flax oil the other day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you guys. I think uh, we're going to get started. So to reduce the amount of... Um, feedback that you're going to hear because we're in the same room. I'm going to mute myself, turn my sound off, and uh, Dr. Becky Tease and Megan are going to get started. Uh, a little bit of a preemptive ramble to get you guys kicked off. Today they're going to talk about a multifaceted approach to equine rehabilitation. Dr. Becky Tease has been with us for just shy of a year. She'll be with us a year this summer. She was a student with us uh, way back when and she also did her internship at Pioneer in California. Um, she's a great asset yeah. to her program. As many of you know, she yeah, yeah. took on uh, quite a few of Dr. Ksar Toth's clients when Dr. Toth went on maternity leave. Uh, and then it was a great fit because she also partnered up with one of our great technicians, Megan Orange. Megan is an RVT, but she also has gone down to the University of Tennessee and completed her rehabilitation program there. So she is SERP certified. I'm sure she'll talk about that a little bit more. For any of you that have been um, or had your horses at Cooley, you'll see Becky and Megan there quite frequently. They go to Cooley Equine almost every Thursday to check in on the cases that we're, we have there. And uh, they do quite a bit of rehabilitation and conditioning programs for those horses. So um, because they've been working on that so frequently, we thought that it would be great to start off today with them sharing some more information about what they do together and what they do for us here at Energy Equine. So once again, we're going to get started. I'm going to turn my microphone off. If you wanted to drop uh, if you wanted to drop comments, drop it in the chat section. Joanne, uh, I think you might need to turn your sound on your own computer or look at the bottom left-hand side. Uh, that's where your sound is. I think everyone else can hear us from, from the looks of thing on the group chat. Okay, guys, I'm going to mute myself. I'm going to uh, put it over to Dr. Becky Tease and Megan Orange, and they're going to get us started. Okay. Are you muted, Your mic? Yes, I'm good now. There we go. Hi, guys. If you can't hear us, if the switch didn't work, just uh, write in the text box, and Louisa is monitoring. So if we run into any 
technical difficulties, but uh, today we're going to talk about what we call the pathway to recovery um, and our multifaceted approach to equine rehabilitation. Um, that's a pretty big um, thing that we do at Energy Equine. We work sort of a team-based approach to rehabbing a lot of our cases, and we're actually going to talk about this topic at the main event, which has now been cancelled, but we still really wanted to you know, cover it. And so we thought this was a great opportunity to talk about it today. Um, so yeah, we'll get started. Cool. There we go. So kind of Louise already touched base, but I thought we'd just introduce ourselves in case you haven't met us. So I am Dr. Becky Cheese. Um, I got my DVM or Doctor of Veterinary Medicine from the University of Calgary and I graduated in 2018. So and so what would be considered a new graduate. Um, I did an equine internship after my graduation at Pioneer Equine Hospital, which is in Oakdale, California. Um, if you know California very well, it's in the Central Valley, um, San Francisco. Um, and it was a referral hospital where um, we would rotate through surgery, uh, lameness or sports medicine. We did a lot of imaging there, so we had a CT scanner, an MRI, um, ultrasonographers. Oh, there, I got it. Okay, that. thank you. Um, we did a lot of sales for racehorses, so a lot of digital x-rays. Um, and then we also did emergency and internal medicine as well. Um, so it was pretty well-rounded, but when I was there, I focused mostly on surgery and lameness. Um, when I was in vet school, I did externships throughout I went down to Texas, Oklahoma, and throughout California as well. So I got to see a lot of different types of horses throughout my schooling. And then I have been an associate veterinarian here at Energy since July of last year. Um, so obviously I'm Megan, uh, registered veterinary technologist. I went and did my um, certificate, I guess my diploma program at Lakeland College in Vermilion. Um, and I've I guess I graduated 2013. I practiced in Edmonton for almost three and a half years. I took a bit of a break and was going to go down a different career path and ended up back here because this is where I'm meant to be. Yay. Um, so I then, uh, since being here, I've always had an interest in uh, originally surgery, but also lameness and sports medicine. So that's uh, what drew me down here to Energy Equine. Um, and last spring, I went down to Tennessee and did the uh, rehab course there and have been helping put some things together since. Um, yeah. yeah, since Megan has gone down to the University of Tennessee, she's been a huge, uh, huge role in our clinic following these rehab cases. We see so many horses come through and Megan juggles them all after they go home and really is your guys' sort of first line of communication during the rehab process so it's been pretty amazing having her in that role um so yeah sort of let's go through an outline of what we're going to be talking about today um first we're going to talk about how we reach a diagnosis um we can't start rehabbing a horse properly without a diagnosis so we'll talk about what that entails um our treatment options you know in the initial acute um phase after the injury, how we can treat those, and then we'll get into more of the nitty gritty of the rehabilitation and what um, where the team approach comes in and, and what that looks like. And then, you know, once the rehab phase is over, how we condition those horses to get them back to their expected level of performance, because that's always the goal at the end of the day. And then we'll just go through two sort of success stories that really uh, we've done recently in clinic that sort of... Um, are good examples of that multifaceted team approach where we had a lot of team players to get these horses back to their job 
Um, this is kind of a cool picture. This is one of our clients, Dustin, and I think the horse is named Pickle um, at Calgary Stampede. We're not going to talk about him today, but I thought it was a cool picture of a horse performing and doing its job like we want it to. So when a horse, when you pull your horse out of the barn or you're riding it and you notice an onset of lameness occur, generally we can sort of bring it down to one of three things. Sometimes they do overlap with each other, but at the end of the day, it's usually a traumatic, you know, onset of lameness. It can be a developmental or a degenerative process at play causing the lameness. So your sudden or traumatic will be those injuries, fractures, things that we call like tendinopathies, meniscal tears, anything like that where the horse overused itself and caused injury is sort of what I would consider a traumatic process. Um, developmental would be a lameness originating from issues during the subchondral development or the joint development of the horse basically. So that would be your OCD lesions, you know, crooked legs or limb deformities. Um, and sometimes we will encounter like compensatory issues that develop over time due to a different injury. So that would be considered a developmental since it progressed over time. Um, and then there's the degenerative ones and that's, you know, our suspensory ligament desmitis, uh, navicular disease or phototrochosis is the new term that we use for it, osteoarthritis. And lots of times we'll see two things. So we can have say a sudden or traumatic injury and then over time we see secondary osteoarthritis develop. So lots of times they do overlap, but overall it's usually a lameness is due to one of these three things at the end of the day. And so once you have a lameness, for whatever reason, you basically have two options. So you can choose to ignore it and, you know, lots of people will just turn the horse out for six months um, and bring it back in in six months and hope it's sound. Or you can choose to treat. Um, at the end of the day, that's sort of your two most basic options. Um, so the step one that we sort of touched on is the diagnosis process. Do you want to talk about what that entails, Megan? <laughs> Um, so you guys will usually come in because obviously your horse is sore and we will start late. So um, that's where Dr. Tease will kind of do a overall physical, see how the body's feeling. We'll do hoof testers, things like that. But then we'll progress, progress to watching a horse at a walk or trot. We'll do some flexion tests and then we move into the round pen to watch them on the circle. Um, because that's sometimes a lameness will be kind of okay on a trot and with those different forces, then it gets to be a little bit more exacerbated. Um, so that's where the, the that part will start in. We'll figure out what we see. Um, a lot of the times from there, the vets will have a conversation with the owner, depending on what they want to do. Um, usually kind of gold standard is to go to the blocks, um, starting at the bottom of the leg and working our way up, depending on where we're finding our issues. Um, and then that gives us kind of a small section of, it helps us kind of narrow down the area that we're looking at, because if they don't block out to their foot, then it's obviously something up higher in the leg. Um, and then we're not looking at stuff in the lower limb, or I guess the lower distal limb that isn't um, appropriate for what's going on with the horse because the block didn't work for that area. Yeah, and really the goal of all of this is at the end of the day to uncover which structures are injured or diseased and as well how severely they're injured and that will often dictate which treatment we recommend pursuing um and this step uh, you know the diagnostic step is really crucial in order to successfully treat rehabilitate and recover the horse because if we misdiagnose it and say it's the wrong structure we're not going to treat the right structure and we're not going to rehab the right structure so this is really a crucial process um, that we need to make sure that we get right 
Um, and usually, as far as it goes in our practice, if we can uncover it with x-rays or ultrasound, then we will recommend oftentimes an MRI, which requires referral. Um, you know, there's also other uh, diagnostics you can do like a CT scan, which um, we don't actually have any CTs in Alberta, so it's a pretty big drive if you do need to pursue that. There's also nuclear scintigraphy, which is essentially injecting um, radioisotopes and then using a special camera to find areas of inflammation in the body. Um, and then, you know, another diagnostic imaging option is arthroscopy or tenoscopy, which is basically surgery. And you're putting a camera directly into a joint or into a tendon sheath. And then you're actually getting to look inside the structure that you might suspect as an injury. I think for anyone that's wondering, is the close CT in Washington? I believe so, yes. Yeah. And CTs are really cool. So basically, I mean, we'll touch on this a little bit, but lots of people get a little confused on what an MRI does versus a CT. An MRI is very good for looking at soft tissues and getting that 360 degree look at the soft tissue structures. CT is a little better for hard tissue like bone, but essentially it's also giving you a 360 degree view, um, just different methods of obtaining those images. So once you've nailed down a diagnosis, then we um, go into sort of the treatment options. And often um, treatment is dictated by how aggressive the owner wants to be in order to have an earlier return to performance. And um, so depending yeah, on the disease or injury process, there's usually several options for treatments. And, and which one you choose usually depends on how severe the injury is, um, your budget, yeah, the timeline, if you need to get the source back competing and eight months versus two years, well, that's gonna really dictate which treatments you should pursue that will likely be successful for that horse. And then available resources. So obviously if you're say up in the Yukon, you don't have very good access to maybe a surgeon. So surgery might not be an option for your horse simply because of where you're at. Um, so those things all sort of come into play. Um, for us, this for the veterinarian, the treatment stage is where we can play the largest role in your horse's recovery. Um, but at the same time, it's very important for the vet to maintain communication and involvement past the treatment phase and throughout the rehab process. So this is sort of a newer um, sort of mindset. I know 10 years ago when my horse got injured, it was sort of like, well, we'll treat it and then you go home and you rehab it. Good luck. We'll talk to you in a year sort of thing. Where now it's much more hands-on from our perspective where we are you know, checking in with you all the time, or if you're running into issues, we want to hear from you, even if it's six months down the road. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, getting into sort of the nitty gritty of the treatment modalities available for an injury, it does vary a lot if it's, say, an intra-articular or an injury in a joint versus if it's a soft tissue injury. Um, but at the end of the day, these are sort of the basic options. So there's regenerative therapies, which Dr. Hewlett is going to talk about in the next lecture. But at the end of the day, it's basically using the horse's own body to try and heal the tissues. Um, and again, stay tuned for that if you want to learn more. Um, we incorporate a lot of that in our practice here. It's very safe to use these products and has less degeneration of the other tissues. Um, we usually use that in tandem with Shockwave, which is basically an acoustic impulse from a probe that penetrates into the deeper tissues and it helps stimulate healing. Um, if that's not an option for you, there's also injections, which is more of your traditional hyaluronic acid, which is a normal component in joint fluid, 
or polysulfated glycosaminoglycans, which is more commonly known as legend, basically, you can put into a joint. There's also steroids, which will knock down the inflammatory process that may be active in the disease structure. Um, and then, you know, a little offshoot of that would be mesotherapy, which is more for a muscular um, issue. We sometimes will use that treatment in back pain or something like that. Um, other option available is surgery. So like we talked about already, arthroscopy or tenoscopy, which is putting a camera or a scope, as we call it, into the structure that's diseased. And basically, sometimes we can debride it, remove scar tissue in there, uh, remove fragments, cartilage fragments or bone fragments. Um, you know, if it's a very bad injury, sometimes we have to do fracture repair. So something like a, um, you know, a pastern bone fracture where we're having to screw that back together. Um, we don't do that here. Obviously, we would refer that to, you know, our friends at Delaney <laughs> or at Moore down the road. Um, but yeah, essentially surgery is those more severe cases usually that we would uh, recommend that as your treatment option. Um, and then sort of the last one would be external coaptation, which is just a fancy term for bandages, splints. You know, often we use those in those developmental crooked leg folds, things like that, but still need to be rehabbed appropriately in order to, you know, achieve soundness. Um, so there's kind of three major components to rehab, which we have up here is you're going to control your pain and get the inflammation out of there. Because um, there's the kind of the two stages, you have your initial inflammatory phase, and then you go into what's kind of your um, remodeling and healing phase. Um, and that's where the maximize repair and future integrity of damaged structures. So that's where a lot of our regenerative therapies that Dr. Hewlett will talk later will come in. Um, I always tell clients, and again, depending on the injury and the vet's prognosis, uh, it doesn't necessarily always help it heal faster, but it will help heal better. Um, and then the goal is obviously a return to full performance. So um, those are kind of the three and the range of motion and um, returning strength to whatever structure is injured is also really important. And then we'll touch later, I guess, on um, compensatory patterns and that that come up and the, the other modalities that we can use in your rehabilitation program that will also help the veterinary work that we perform here at the clinic. Yeah. So where I talked about in the treatment process where that's sort of where the veterinarian plays the largest role in your horse's recovery, the rehab process is where the owner or the caregiver um, plays the largest role in a successful recovery of the horse. So that's usually once the horse goes home, um, but it's a huge factor in, you know, the amount of recovery you get and, and the prognosis for that horse at the end of the day. So, um, and this is also the phase where the team-oriented approach creates the biggest impact. Um, the horse's injury type and the severity of that injury will dictate the rehabilitation approach and the timeline. Um, and it'll also dictate which team players we need to bring into the rehab process um, in order to get that horse recovered as well as we can. Um, so <laughs> the, the hard part with the rehabilitation process, which you guys are usually saddled with at home, is horses suck at rehab. You know, this is, this is um, a huge issue and we, we know that. So, um, you know, the traditional basic turnout, which used to be sort of how we would rehab horses, is, is actually only successful in a very small percentage. Um, most of these horses don't recover. So only about 25% of horses will become sound just turning them out and, you know, ignoring them sort of thing. Um, but the sucky thing that horses, and we can't tell them, 
um, they don't understand is soft tissue pain will go away, you know, in eight to 10 weeks, but the structures usually take eight to 10 months to heal. So that pain component goes away. Um, and so they think, well, they feel better and they're on stall rest and they get pent up and full of energy. And then, you know, you end up like the person in the picture where you're getting drug around. Um, <laughs> and so it's during the rehab process, usually just due to the horse's behavior, because we aren't letting them be a horse at this point, And we can't tell them you need to stand still for 10 months. Like, you know, they don't understand that. So, um, so it is really, it's really common for us to see horses sort of, you know, take a couple steps back at some point during rehab because they re-injure themselves. So um, we understand that if you are struggling, there is options. So if, if this is you in the picture, <laughs> please call us and tell your vet. Um, we can sometimes do rehab changes or housing changes. Um, you know, sometimes we'll do nutritional changes. So putting them on a lower quality feed just so they're not so hot. Um, you know, we can provide enrichment. Sometimes people get a goat for their horse in rehab or, you know, a pasture friend or a stall mate or, you know, whatever. And sometimes we even have to employ sedatives for, you know, the hand walking just because they are so, so pent up with extra energy um, and that they're at risk of re-injury. So um, don't feel bad if this is you, because honestly, even like the most quiet, you know, reigning horses will be like this at some point. So um, we want to help you. We understand when you are going through this. So don't feel like you need to hide it from your vet because you feel like you're doing a bad job. Please don't hide it from your <laughs> vet. Because <laughs> you guys come in and maybe your injury isn't as progressing as much as we had hoped it would. And we're like, oh, everything's going great. I wonder why. And then it turns out I'm talking on the phone with someone later. They're like, well, they got away on me this one day. And and so it's if things like that do happen, don't feel bad about it. Please let us know because then we know what's going on. And maybe you know, we had a mild setback because something happened and not because your horse isn't healing the way that it should. Sometimes just even tweaking your rehab program a little bit. So, um, you know, I've got one girl horse where the owner just can't hand walk it. Like it, it'll re-injure itself and take off on her. And so we kind of compromise where she's ponying the horse off of another horse and the horse is much better and manageable and is happier to walk beside a friend. So sometimes it's just that little bit of change that we can help you with that'll make all the difference in your horse's recovery so that it's an eight month recovery and not a two year recovery where he keeps re-injuring and then you get better healing at the end of the day too. Um, so we're kind of trying to put some protocols together that we use um, for when you guys come in and just to give clients a better timeline. Sometimes when clients come in and they're like, this is going to be 10 months. Well, what's that going to look like? Um, so this is kind of our general timeline, depending on what your diagnosis is, what the doctor um, predicts the prognosis is going to be. Um, and obviously those factors can change as we go along. So this is kind of just a general timeline as we go along. So day zero, and we, we understand too, that we don't always see things day zero, right? Because sometimes something will happen. You're like, oh, we'll give them three days off or a week off, see what happens. And we see you after that because it hasn't gotten better. Um, but if you come in and we're kind of doing a, a rehab program with you, you caught it right away. This is what we are, is our ideal scene, I guess, for our plan. Um, so you'll come in and if we're doing regeneratives, that's what we'll kind of do them. We'll start at day 30. And that gives that inflammatory process that we mentioned a chance to settle down because usually after 15 ish days, that'll, that'll should be ideally under control. And then we'll start some controlled exercise. Um, and then we come in, we'll start treating every two weeks. Um, we do that with a combination of PRP and shockwave. Um, every two weeks for three treatments is kind of gold standard. Um, and then every 60 days we'll be doing ideally an ultrasound checkup 
and um, clear your horse to be able to increase his workload if things are going our direction. Um, and then in here too, you'll see there's a, a farrier section and that's where um, a lot of these injuries that Dr. Tease is gonna cover later, um, three of the kind of most common ones that we see. A lot of the time, if you have a corrective shoer that can help you out, um, giving that extra support within the foot. So with how they place their foot, how they land, how they use the forces through their limb um, can really help um, help their recovery because if you have a DDFT tear, being able to elevate the heel a little bit is going to help take tension off of that and hopefully help it um, heal better. Um, so yeah, and this is kind of up to day 270 because that's based on the research. A lot of the time it takes that kind of eight to 10 months to get back to full performance. So this is just an idea that we're with you every step of the way until you're back in the arena and obviously there for your maintenance stuff afterwards. But we want to we want to be there and be able to support you and we don't want you lost floating out in space not understanding what to do. <laughs> yeah. And this is, you know, this is just an example that we've got up here. So this is sort of a soft tissue one. Obviously, this is going to change depending on what the injury is and every case is unique. But this just sort of is a, you know, perfect world guideline doing all the treatments we would typically want to do for, say, a deep digital flexor tear injury, which is quite common to see. So. Um, again, it depends on your horse, which treatments we will recommend, but this is just sort of a loose guideline of what a typical rehab program will look like for a horse that comes through our practice. Um, and, and again, as they go through, sometimes it'll be adding in a chiropractic every two weeks or a body worker every two weeks. So it is a case by case, but this just gives you guys an idea of how much goes into a, you know, a complete rehabilitation program with the horse. Um, and the big thing that we, you know, really strive for here is an early return to controlled exercise instead of, you know, two months of stall rest where we have learned that that's um, often detrimental to the recovery rather than enhancing recovery. So when we're choosing our rehab guidelines, basically we, we reassess them quite often throughout the initial recovery process. Um, but at the end of the day, we assign the horse's injury um, as basically mild, moderate, or severe. And this is based on Dr. Carol Gillis's guidelines. Um, and so we're looking at, for soft tissue injury, we're looking at ultrasound findings. We're looking at a lot of different measurables, including what we call cross-sectional area. Um, we're looking at the fiber pattern. We're looking at the size of a core lesion or a hole in the tendon, if that's present. And then we're taking that into account beside the clinical signs or the degree of lameness. And that's how we assign if your horse is a mild, moderate, or severe. Um, and then we're using that to put your horse into a segue program for controlled exercise, which Megan will talk about. So again, a lot of this is based off of the controlled exercise portion is based off a lot of what Carol Gillis has done, which is actually research she did, I believe, either late 80s or early 90s. Um, but it kind of goes through and they've done, um, they did like a, an initial study and now this has been used on over 20,000, 22,000 horses reported. And that's where earlier we had said, you know, the ones that are kicked out to pasture for a year, only kind of that 22 to 26% will, will recover and go back to full performance for a year without injury. Past that year and risk of re-injury, that's, they kind of didn't follow through with the study, like they did the study for a year. Um, so how those horses did after a year of full return to performance with just uh, a year of basically pasture rest, we don't know. Um, so again, there's chances there just aren't, aren't super great, especially if you've got a horse that you want to get back to the arena, which we know a lot of the athletes out there that work with their horses, they're their partners, and that's their job, right? So 
Um, so this is kind of just a, a general, you know, we, the doctors will do an ultrasound, um, typically is what we diagnose with, um, because we're dealing most of the time with a soft tissue injury. So you kind of have that mild, moderate, severe category. And then as we go through, um, the, you'll see that there's good fair and poor, um, progression. So how, how they're progressing through and we'll do that. Ideally, we kind of do the every day, every 60 day checks um, with the ultrasound to see how it's doing. And then we'll decide from there how it's progressing and how much more exercise you can do. Um, and so this is kind of just tables on what it looks like. Um, obviously, once you kind of get to day 180 here, we're kind of into our trod and canter work for the ones that are progressing very well, but poorly, the ones that are poorly are not doing the way that we had hoped they would. It's a point where we reevaluate your case and try and come up with other treatment options and what we can do for your horse. Um, and then back to back to full performance, ideally between day 270 and day 300, if everything goes absolutely in our favor. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, that doesn't always you know, follow that specific timeline, but this is sort of a perfect world, what we are looking at, you know, tendons heal typically a little faster than ligament injuries do, just the way the different tissues regenerate over time. So, um, so this is an average, um, your horse might be faster and they might be slower. So it is always a case by case. Um, these, these sort of plans are very, um, very good, but it, the horse is an individual at the end of the day. So don't just take this and, and apply it to your horse without talking to your vet first and making sure that they are okay to even enter, you know, the poor, poor prognosis plan sort of thing. All right. So we have in here the water factor. So this is where a lot of people, um, you've got your kind of your underwater treadmill. There's two options for that. So there's the unit. We deal with Cooley equine quite a lot, like Louisa mentioned when she introed. Um, our day here and so they have an above ground treadmill and a lot of horses have gone through there and had fantastic success when I was down in Tennessee at the University there they've actually got an in-ground treadmill um, so it's a lot larger unit at the University there they have it set up um, it actually has its own room um, but they've got the kind of like a, a walkway that leads into it and it'll actually the treadmills in the bottom I don't remember how deep it is I want to say six feet but don't quote me on that. <laughs> uh, it's actually at a deep height, um, but they've got a ramp that goes down into it. You do your treadmill work at the bottom, and then you have a ramp that comes back up the other side of it. Um, so there's a uh, purpose for both, um, pros and cons to both. Um, I think it's more commonly horses do try and jump out of the above ground ones because um, the in ground, they're kind of in, they can't see out, they're not really panicked about everything around them. The larger ones, obviously, I guess from a clinic standpoint, are more maintenance, larger, larger um, <clears throat> setups. Um, and the, they've done studies, all the studies that they've done with underwater treadmill work and the buoyancy has been done in salt water. Um, but they've got different levels. You'll get different amounts of buoyancy. And the other great thing about the above ground treadmill is that you can play with those levels. The underground treadmill, um, the one at Tennessee, they said you cannot. Um, so with that one, you'd be targeting more buoyancy, whereas something like if you've got a deep digital flexor that's later into a rehab program and you want to really kind of increase range of motion through the tendons and the joints that that's affecting, the above ground treadmill with the adjustable water heights would probably be more beneficial for you because we can get some resistance, some reduced impact on landing versus just walking your horse over dry ground. Um, and then you've got the resistance and conditioning part of it to some extent as well. Um, and 
sorry, we're just looking at our notes here. Um, increased resistance, reduced concussion, I covered that um, underwater treadmill. Um, I do believe there is some that have salt water because like I said, they've done the research in salt water. Um, and then there's swimming pools, which I think sometimes if people don't understand, they get them confused. So underwater treadmill is fantastic. Your horse is still making contact with the ground. Swimming is fantastic from a conditioning standpoint. Um, but super hard on stifles, really hard on horses that already maybe have uh, like back issues. Kissing spine is kind of a hot controversial topic right now, but any kind of horse that already has some lordotic sway back type conformation can actually cause more problems than it will good if you're trying to swim your horse um, because they're not making contact with the ground. It is, does take a lot of cardiovascular fitness to be able to do that. It's great from a conditioning standpoint. Places all over the States do it. If your horse is in a rehabilitation program, um, please talk to your veterinarian and make sure it's appropriate. I don't think there's any available in Alberta, um, but they do have their place in conditioning for sure. And salt spa is also on there. We do use this a lot for any kind of distal limbs um, that are have inflammation that we'd like to deal with in that area. Um, so the one that we deal with is again at Cooley Equine. I believe it can come up to just about elbow height the the one caution that we do have for this is that you don't ever want the it to touch their belly because you can actually start affecting their core temperature um so those can only go to a certain height it is at negative four degrees but the amount of salt that's in it doesn't allow the water to freeze which is why it's so beneficial so the the salt in that has that is it osmolarity i believe the word is to be able to pull any kind of extra edema and stuff out but the cold also helps shut down some of the inflammation that's going on um, I think the other option that Cooley does have is they do have like an extra hose that you can target tissues higher up, but again, wanting to avoid that cold water touching their core so that you don't mess with their core temperature and potentially make them sick. Um, as far as like the water factor goes, you know, if you have a soft tissue injury, say again, we're going to keep coming back to this, a deep digital flexor tear. And we keep coming back to that one because that's just so common. Um, you know, you're not wrong to do control, like either path you choose is fine. So whether you choose to implement a water treadmill for your rehab versus doing at-home rehab, neither is poorer than the other one. Lots of times um, I do find it's, it's a horse by horse basis. So I do find those ones that are a little harder to manage at home just behaviorally seem to do very well in a conditioning program at a rehab facility. And, I, and I'm not sure if it's, you know, kids are better when their parents aren't around. <laughs> um, but there is a lot of structure there. And I think it feels a little more like a job to them where at home, they're just sitting there in their stall. Um, there's less stimulus where there's a bit more activity going on at a rehab facility. So um, sometimes these horses that aren't doing well at home, we will recommend they go to somewhere like Cooley and then they, they really do awesome there. So, um, you know, from a rehab perspective, I'm not sure maybe Megan would have more insight on, you know, recovery um, of soft tissue injuries in water versus not being in water. But for me, it's often a behavioral thing that I find these horses really excel in a water uh, program. Yeah, and I think it's, it varies from client to client too. A lot of the time we'll have horses that go to Cooley um, or some kind of rehab facility like that because they work out of town or their schedule just doesn't allow it because they work really long hours. Um, so it works great from that standpoint. Neither is wrong because we also have the clients that are at home. They're, you know, for they can work from home. They're there all the time and they really want to be hands-on with their horse. Um, both are successful and just depending on what kind of surface you're working on, um, what you have available to you, 
where um, your, I guess, like ability is too with horse handling, because sometimes we have people that are fairly new to horses and other ones that have been doing it for 30 plus years. Um, so it just depends on like your own skill set, what your horse, like your horse personality, uh, what you have available to you, what's in your budget, what you want to do. Um, and we kind of customize everything to what you can do um, and other exercise at home exercises that we're able to send with you. Cool. So moving into sort of more, I guess, at your at home program, we just wanted to touch on really quick on straights versus circles. So, um, you know, the direction you take your horse during your hand walking and, and even trotting is just as important as the exercise intensity and the interval so how long you're exercising them for um straight lines as much as possible are usually recommended over circles and turns for most soft tissue injuries um the straight line you know when your horse is walking in a straight line you'll still get stretched on those soft tissues but when you start circling then you're adding in more torque uh forces which can create re-injury basically so we'll sometimes implement a hot walker later on in rehab when we're starting to ask more of that structure but um you know lots of people just ask if they can put them on a hot walker at home and usually early on especially we recommend walking them in hand in straight lines and then being very careful in your corners um so rehab versus conditioning so your rehab is the treatment and recovery of an injury and that's kind of what we've been talking about today and then Conditioning is preparing to perform at a higher level whilst avoiding re-injury or, you know, you can do it from a prevention standpoint too, if you've got a healthy horse that you're just trying to bring back for your season. So rehabbing requires both of these aspects because we start out with the rehab part of it and then eventually our goal is to get you back to the arena. So it'll be conditioning once we feel your injury can handle the workload. A big part of conditioning, I mean, you know, we're obviously always working on fixing that injury, but we also need to look at the other components that we require from an equine athlete. So um, the one thing we address in the conditioning program is usually ensuring your horse has adequate muscle mass, um, without being super fat um, or even a little bit fat because we don't want to place extra weight on, on the limbs, especially if we have an injured one. But these horses will stand in a stall for a long time and they do usually lose body condition. So we need to make sure that we, we, bring those muscles back to a to a level that they can perform well with um, and also the other thing we really find with these horses in the conditioning programs after rehab is their cardiovascular fitness is very low so even though they're running sound it doesn't mean that their heart and lungs can handle them running yet so we need to redevelop this after rehab they've basically been couch potatoes for a year so if you think you laid on the couch for all of COVID and now i want you to go run a marathon that's not really realistic right so um, so it's bringing these horses back as a whole body approach in the conditioning portion of the program, um, as well as soft tissue conditioning. So even though we've been working on, you know, fixing an injury, we also need to, you know, reintroduce stretch and force on all the other tendons and ligaments in the body as well. And this can take, um, you know, months to years to adapt to certain disciplines. Um, but then once you stop using them, they're lost very quickly. Um, you have a timeline, Megan, for about how long it would take to you know, develop cardiovascular conditioning coming back? Well, that's where usually if we're dealing with a healthy horse, kind of it's that 10 to 12 weeks. Um, and that's where a lot of people are, are kind of shocked by that. Because um, I, I you don't realize until you start talking to people just how quick they're like, oh, I trotted my horse for two weeks, they're good to go. Or, you know, you hear someone pulling their horse out of the pasture and they're going to a jackpot of some sort. 
Um, and it's just not ideal for your horses. And that's where like, I keep coming back to thinking about ourselves. Cause I feel sometimes people, if you think about how your body would respond to that, your horse is also a mammal. They're going to respond the same. If you've been sitting around for forever and you go out and you do a 13 kilometer hike up a mountain, sure you can do it, but you're going to be sore and not be able to walk for the next three to four days. If that's not something you do on a regular basis. So I think we just need to keep that in mind for our horses when we ask them, because not only are they doing that, they're having a you know, sometimes 20 to 40 pound saddle put on their back plus however much we weigh and they're carrying our butts around, which, you know, depending on how much I've been working out, that's more or less depending on the day. <laughs> um, so the other thing to keep in mind with conditioning too is um, when you start back, you don't want to increase your intensity, but don't ever increase those both things at the same time because you're more likely to go into fatigue faster and then you're taking more steps backwards than you are forwards. Um, and that's where the warm up and the cool down portion of your conditioning is super important because we need to warm up. We need to have um, the tissues warm and ready to go before we ask more of them to stretch and move or do lateral movements. Um, because otherwise you're more likely to end up in a state where you have an injury because our tissues weren't prepared for that workload. Um, and that's where you have your cool down phase, your uh, workout, but you will also sometimes have what people refer to as the warm down phase. And that's where it's actually very important to um, add in trot work into what people would consider their cool down or your warm down um, because it's going to help uh, any lactic acid that might have built up during your workout. It's going to help flush those things out and reduce your um, delayed onset of muscle soreness, what people call DOMS, if you um, refer to that at all. Um, and then when also talking about tendons and ligaments there and bones, um, they are the last two kind of, we are, sorry, our muscle tissue and our cardiovascular will adjust faster than our tendons, ligaments, and bones will. But even then, it still takes up to three to four months for our cardiovascular system to fully adapt. Because when you look at the, your cardiovascular, your capillaries and that that surround your muscles with increased work over time will actually get larger and they help develop, or sorry, deliver red blood cells more to those muscles so that they can get the oxygen that they need to perform the job. So kind of that 10 to 12 weeks is, is kind of the minimum to get your horse into ideal shape. Um, so when you're, you've got some that you're, obviously this is not an ideal year, I guess we can say August, which would normally be May for our show <laughs> season. We're hoping that things will get back to normal, but you know, you gotta be figuring out when your first show is and then dialing back 10 to 12 weeks before you, like, as you're starting your program at home. Um, and then, yeah. So that's, it's, your conditioning is a lot more important than traditionally people think it is because the better we prepare our horse, the better that they're going to perform, the least likely that your season's going to get canceled because you're dealing with an injury because our tissues weren't ready to handle the force that we asked of it. You're interested in cardiovascular airway stuff. I see Dr. Percy McRae is on the, on the line here. I think she's done a couple of papers on cardiovascular fitness and horses. So um, you can hit her up and she'll probably talk your ear off about all of those things. <laughs> so we're going to move into the team player approach of the rehab process. Um, you know, the first thing that we usually address right away, if it needs to be, depending on the injury, is, is the podiatry aspect. We have an in-house farrier here named Matt Humpage. Um, we also work closely with Kirk Shaw. There's a really good farrier in BC that I work with. Uh, Russell Floyd, um, and these guys basically are, are what we call corrective barriers, and so they can take a horse with a soft tissue injury and apply special shoes, 
um, to transfer stress or forces onto other structures. So, um, you know, for us and, and for you as well, a good relationship with a corrective barrier is vital. Um, and oftentimes with these injuries, we'll actually, um, the veterinarian will be present for at least the initial shoeing. And, and oftentimes that's because it's radiographic guided to make sure that we are getting the right angles that we need to, to treat um, to treat the horse through the shoeing aspect. Um, from the owner's perspective, you should expect several resets and shoeing modifications throughout rehab. So um, for example, for a deep digital flexor tear injury, we're gonna jack that heel up and then over time, we're slowly gonna drop it down. Um, and you can see these x-rays here, you know, this is using radiographic guidance basically to correct a negative, um, in this case, plantar um, angle. So this is a hind foot and, you know, we used um, a pad and brought that um, basically angle of the bottom of that coffin bone up. So this is pretty typical for us to, to use x-rays to help us guide through the shoeing process. You know, at the end of the day, the goals of the podiatrist is to reduce strain on the injured structure. Um, and then over time, we'll gradually reintroduce the stretch or the stress component through shoeing and angle changes. Um, but there is no free lunch. We are transferring the strain onto another healthy process. Um, so we're basically taking the strain or the stress off of the injured and we're transferring it onto a healthy structure. Um, so, you know, we obviously don't want to transfer it on to another injured structure. So lots of times biomechanically, it can be a bit of a mental, um, mental game to figure out where we can sort of take that stress and load it to somewhere else. Um, you know, in order to do this, we often require specialized or individually forged shoes. Um, sometimes they're plates or, or extensions like heel extensions or toe extensions. Um, and sometimes we do have to be pretty aggressive with these where we're changing the foot angle or the weight bearing pressures over the foot. And we never want to keep them in that state longer than we need to. And that's why, you know, usually we are doing a lot of resets so that we don't have them in one really weird orientation for longer than we need to. Um, so I'm gonna go through sort of a couple principles so you guys can sort of wrap your head around what the podiatry factor plays. So um, we're gonna look at just, you know, a couple cases here that we see pretty regularly. So this is a deep digital flexor tendon um, injury. So if you look along the back, this is our DDFT as we call it, and it runs down along and it actually attaches to the bottom of the coffin bone. Um, we also have an inferior check ligament, which just sort of acts as an anchor for that deep digital flexor tendon. And it's pretty common for horses to injure these. Um, and so when we have an injury, we want to elevate the heels like this one here. So sometimes we'll put a wedge pad in there or we'll just use a wedged shoe. Um, and that's gonna decrease the pull along the back of the leg here on that deep digital flexor tendon and that check ligament. And then we'll also rocker the toe, um, you know, around the front of the toe and that'll ease breakover. So basically it's gonna be putting less stress or pull on that tendon when the foot is going through that stride. Um, and sometimes we'll also put impression material. I know Matt likes to use dental impression material just to reduce concussive forces as well that travel up from the ground. And then um, a rule of thumb, it, and it depends on how the horse progresses clinically and on ultrasound, but we'll usually try to reduce the heel elevation by one to, do, one to two degrees at each reset. And this is usually once we're a couple months into the rehab program. Um, we never want to reduce them by too much at a time because then we're at a great risk of re-injury, just putting too much stress onto that tendon. Um, conversely, another really common thing we see is suspensory ligament injuries. So, 
if you look on the picture at the top here, you can see what the suspensory ligament looks like. Basically comes down and attaches to two little sesamoid bones on the back of the fetlock. And then those bones are anchored by what we call sesamoidian ligaments. Um, the role of the suspensory is to basically suspend the fetlock. So um, we do ask a lot of this structure and it is pretty common to see injury here. So what we want to do with that is we're basically transferring the load of that suspensory onto the flexor tendon, so the superficial and digital flexor tendon. So instead of you know jacking up the heels, we're gonna bring those heels down. And we're also gonna make a wide toe. Um, you know, on the hind feet, we'll actually square off that toe. And then we'll put narrow branch, you know, shoes on, and that'll allow those heels to sink into the ground a little bit. And basically we're gonna transfer stress onto those flexor tendons and relieve the suspensory ligament. Um, so you don't want to apply any type of wedge or heel elevation because then you're going to be increasing the load on your suspensory ligament for these guys. The last one that we'll look at, um, I just decided to talk about this one a little bit because one of our cases will be this injury. So uh, coffin joint collateral ligament injury, not quite as common as the other two I just described, but you can see the picture there. The collateral ligament, there's two on either side of the front of the coffin joint. And what our goal is, is to reduce strain on that ligament so we transfer the load to the other side of the foot so you can see that shoe is very wide on the one side we put that wide spot on the injured side of that um, the side that the injured ligament is on and that just provides extra support um, we want to maintain a normal angle of our coffin bone and then we'll rock her around the toe just to decrease stress on the ligament a little further there we go so chiropractic is one we often will work with chiropractors, um, not so much early on in the rehab process, but lots of times later on. Um, over time, it's really common for us to encounter what we call malalignments, and that's usually due to an overcompensation from an injury. So basically, the horse is trying to get their weight off of the injured structure, and that makes them stand sort of funky, and then over time, that creates malalignment that... Um, that then has to be adjusted and, and oftentimes it's not a one-time, you know, fix from the chiropractor. Lots of times they have to come several times to readjustment to readjust it just because it doesn't want to hold that adjustment. Um, and this is where a proactive owner is beneficial because the earlier you sort of address this, then it can mean small adjustments instead of having to do a really big adjustment on the chiropractor's part that probably won't hold. Um, ask your vet for chiropractor recommendations. They they're there's a lot of there, um, so yeah, they're, and they're not all equal. Um, they, most of them are quite good, but just double check and make sure that you know if your vet needs to address something to that chiropractor beforehand from an injury standpoint, they know so that they don't create an injury inadvertently because they don't know what's going on with the case history. Uh, another one that we often use in combo with chiropractic is um, body work. So, and this is, I will always promote Cairo and body work, and I'm glad that I work at a place that believes in the same because um, I use both of these modalities a lot on myself. I don't think I would walk very right if I didn't, <laughs> but uh, it's often recommended in conjunction with your chiropractic. Like Becky said, sometimes, you know, if they, they go too long and they need a chiropractic adjustment, sometimes it's a really big adjustment, but then it doesn't hold. Um, so doing soft tissue work in combination with the chiropractic can help those hold better and return your horse back to a proper neural pathway um, more readily and sooner. 
Um, common to see sore tight muscles from bracing your garden regarding from pain and so this is where a lot of people are like oh it's tight it's strong but actually it most oftentimes means the opposite so if something's really tight it's like holding on and trying to because your muscles jobs are help stabilize your joints so it's holding on trying to do its job but if it's not strong enough to do that it's not going to be able to relax so tight muscles can actually be um, an indication that they're weak and we probably need to do some strengthening in that area um, so eventually it can lead to muscle atrophy or hypertrophy. Again, this is compensation pattern. Sometimes if we're standing more on one leg, that muscle is going to develop more. And then the one that we're not using isn't going to develop as well or might actually lose muscle tone because it hasn't been being used. Um, and like I said, the incorrect neural pathways. So they're, if we can catch them as they're starting to happen or before and actually prevent them from happening in the first place, it's going to be a lot easier to keep your horse on a proper path than if we get down and we're used to bearing more weight, say on our right hind leg than our left hind, and that's just how we walk now. Our, our neural pathway is actually going to rewrite itself, and that's going to be what our body thinks is our new normal. Um, and trying to undo that um, after we're already so far down that road is a lot more difficult than catching it as it's starting in the first place. Um, so the benefits of body work, um, you increase, increase your range of motion. And the better that you can move through and your muscles are actually able to use that range of motion, the, the better that you're going to be able to condition. You're going to be able to utilize your muscles properly. Your horse is going to be able to um, discard waste products in the tissues more easily. Um, you'll find your horse is more willing to move and work. Just like I know like when I go to get a massage and they work on my neck and I've had a headache and I'm, I'm like, oh, I can move again. I've got my full range of motion for my neck again. And I'm usually in a better mood because I don't have a headache. Um, so and provides comfort to muscle injuries. We will get horses, you know, they're out on the ice in the winter and they go to they kind of do the splits with their back legs. And then, you know, there is some that get a tear on the kind of the adductor tissue on the inside of that hind leg. So supporting the muscles around that as that tissue is trying to heal itself, it's not always treatment of exactly what's going on, but it can be the surrounding structures to add support so that we can continue to heal what's actually trying to um, improve um, in your improved circulation and your better physical condition. <clears throat> Again, it's supporting all the tissues around what's um, the injury that's going on is going to be important because if we're the rest of our body hurts. Our body isn't going to focus on um, in, like healing our injury. So it's again that kind of whole horse approach and whole horse picture. Because um, if my foot had an injury and I, I broke my ankle, or you know, we've like like you saying, we've got a deep digital flexor tear, and now that's starting to heal, but my body's focused on everything else that's hurting and not trying to put weight on my right front. It's going to affect our mental health and that in and of itself. You know, our our our, if our stress levels and our cortisol are up because things hurt. We're, we're not going to pay attention to our healing factors as much. And then uh, the post-treatment exercises. So um, your body worker should be leaving you with exercises after they've worked on your horse, um, the ones that have been ed educated properly. These can range from stretches, in-hand exercises, or under saddle work as well. Um, properly trained body workers will be able to assess where your horse is weak and, like I said earlier, give you exercises to strengthen that specific area. Um, they should always be willing to talk to or work with your veterinarian and follow their recommendations. And especially when your horse is undergoing rehab, like Becky said, with the chiropractors that we need to know what certain tissues can and cannot handle because there's some exercise that might not be appropriate depending on what injury we're dealing with, even though it's going to strengthen a certain tissue that they want to target, we might have to wait and implement that later and make sure the tissue that we're going to put stress on can handle it. Um, just a few more, you know, team players that we might implement. Um, one is acupuncture. 
Acupuncture is kind of one of those gray areas, um, you know, but at the end of the day, we generally recommend it's only performed by veterinarians with uh, what we call IVAS certification. So those are people that have actually gone to a pretty extensive acupuncture course. Um, usually it will be sort of those neural um, pathway case, what, cases where there is a neurogenic component. So, um, you know, there is white paper research saying that it's beneficial in navicular pain, laminitic pain, arthritis, back and neck pain, anything neurological. So not maybe as useful in the acute phase, but more later on once there's more of a chronic, um, you know, component, it might be more useful. And it, it's sort of more of a case-by-case -case basis for the acupuncture, I find. Um, similarly, ancillary therapy. So this is basically ancillary just means a supportive or additional therapy. So additional to something else. So the treatment that we're already providing. So this sort of is your PMF, uh, your Equiscope, laser therapy, Equivibe. And these are all really, you know, recommended on a case-by-case -case basis. So if you ever are interested in any of those, just talk to your vet and, and we'll sort of, you know, recommend it or say, oh, like maybe not for this case in particular. So those ones are a little more unique. Um, but yeah, usually they don't have a one size fits all sort of use. Um, and then, yeah, we'll just touch really quick. I know we're running out of time. So we'll just, use we'll just do the one case. Okay. So just sort of a case recently we did that I thought was pretty cool. Um, cause there was a lot of people that have played into getting this horse sound. Um, it's a case of a nine-year-old Oldenburg gelding that we actually saw, I think it was last fall, summer actually. Yeah. It was a while ago now. Um, the horse is a hunter jumper at a pretty high level. It was imported from the States. This is not his actual picture, but he actually looks a lot like this horse. Um, <laughs> so when we saw him, he, um, he had an injury. And I think by the time we saw it, it was about a month old. Um, and he was, he was quite lame on the right front leg. And it was a bit unique because it was, the lameness was most evident when that leg was on the outside of the circle. So um, most of the injuries we see on the front end will be more obvious when that sore leg is on the inside of the circle, but he was unique. It was on the outside of the circle. Um, we went ahead and blocked that right foot and then the lameness actually switched to the left front foot, which isn't uncommon. So he was lame in both feet, just more sore on the right, so more clinical until we actually blocked that out. Um, and then once we blocked the left foot, uh, he became sound. So we were pretty confident there was something going on in his front feet that was bothering him. Um, so we went ahead and followed our typical sort of steps for a diagnosis. Um, X-rays didn't show anything really exciting. Um, I think he maybe had a little bit of navicular change on the X-ray, but that's not uncommon to see in performance horses. And it was, it was not crazy. Um, so we ultrasounded um, and it showed us slightly on the right front, we could see a slight enlargement of the collateral ligament on the inside. So if you remember that collateral ligament on the front of the coffin joint I had showed you before, there's another picture coming up. Um, we can't see that ligament very well. We can only see the top of it because then it sort of descends underneath the hoof capsule. So, um, but we could see that it looked a little, little suspicious. So, um, based on that, we referred the horse for an MRI and he went to WCVM or the vet college basically in Saskatoon and underwent MRI of both his front feet. Um, just a recap. So an MRI is basically, it's this magnet and it spins really, really fast around the structure that we're looking at. And, and the protons are the cells within our body. It's actually the water molecules have a very small 
um, you know, magnetic field or a charge. And so they respond to the magnet and they all align in a certain direction. And that's what gives us um, the image that we see. And it actually gives us the 360 degree view. So you can see the picture here. This is a higher Tesla MRI. This is the one that we had in my internship in California. Um, but basically it's this large structure and it has a donut. And then we put the leg inside the donut. Um, the one in Saskatoon and the one in Calgary both standing. So the horse is actually awake, but heavily sedated. And then they go ahead and put the foot in. Um, so different MRIs out there, but essentially they all work the same with the magnet creating the image. So the MRI results in doctor terms, he had bilateral medial collateral ligament degeneration or desmopathy, which basically means he hurt that collateral ligament that you can see on this. And it was on the inside one of both his front feet. Um, he actually also had some mild, uh, what we call bilateral active remodeling of his navicular bones, which basically means both his navicular bones on the front also were sore. Um, and you can see here, it's very subtle. And little tiny subtleties in the MRI images <laughs> and give us a diagnosis. Um, what we did from there was we um, elected to do regenerative therapy in the form of PRP, which again, Chad will talk about very shortly. Um, so we did that in his coffin joints and his navicular bursas. Um, this is actually his x-ray receiving a navicular bursa injection with the PRP. You can see the needle coming in through the back of the foot into that bursa. And we did three rounds of that, one every two weeks. Um, Matt went ahead and made a, what we call a Denois which is a uh, man from France who's very amazing um, in, in anatomy, basically. So we did that style of shoe that you can see there to support those injured collateral ligaments. Um, and then he went through a pretty extensive rehab program at home that Megan made for him. And he got um, body work every two weeks from a body worker um, down in his area. Um, so everything looked really great his you know from the front end we did a recheck on him about five months into rehab and and he had developed some pretty amazing compensatory issues um so his front end lameness looked great he was no longer lame on either front foot but he had a massive chiropractic malalignment so when he would walk he would actually dog track sideways um his si region was extremely sore to palpation um and especially for a horse that wasn't under saddle his back was very very sore um, so we recommended chiropractic adjustment in tandem with the body work and he responded amazingly. The chiropractor did some pretty big adjustments and he's going to do a few more still. Um, and then Megan also recommended some stretches and what we call isometric exercises to the plan. And then we've implemented a bit of Cavaletti and Pessoa work just to help with some collection, um, which will hopefully re recondition his, his back as well and his, his hindquarters. This is actually a picture of our good friend Bridget at Vitality Equine. I stole that off her website. <laughs> um, our second case is a really quick one. It's um, a 17-year-old quarter horse gelding that we saw last year. It's a professional barrel racing horse, so quite a high-level competitor. It had been lame on the left hind limb, um, and it had a history of chronic suspensory ligament injury. Again, this is not the horse, but it actually looks a lot like that horse. So... <laughs> um so we ultrasounded it um it's proximal suspensory so the top part of its suspensory ligament at the back of the hawk it showed strong evidence of what we call proximal suspensory desmopathy which this is not this horse's mri but you can see here the normal um, versus the proximal suspensory that's injured on that image um let's see if i can close this up here 
So the proximal suspensory desmitis is just very enlarged and basically the suspensory lives in a casing and when there's um, what we call proximal, proximal suspensory desmopathy, um, it gets very constricted inside that casing and it can be quite painful and there's also a nerve that runs through there as well that um, basically sends the pain pathways um, to the brain to perceive it as painful. So we referred this horse for surgery. He underwent what we call fasciotomy and neurectomy. Um, so basically they cut open that casing to relieve um, that constriction feeling and then we also cut the nerve. Um, and that's a pretty pretty routine procedure to see uh, for proximal suspensories that don't respond to rehab and other treatments. Um, so that's what the surgery looks like. You can see in the picture that little nerve sticking out, that's the nerve that they cut to remove that pain pathway. Um, and yeah, so then the source also underwent suspensory shoeing that we talked about earlier that was done by Matt. The horse went um, through some PRP and IRAP injections around that proximal suspensory and then underwent a controlled rehab program at home that the horse did very well in. It went on to compete at the CFR last fall and I think it actually won a go round or two. So, um, and that was, you know, in part due to the whole team approach of the rehab and conditioning program. So it's uh, like the sign says, it's a journey. <laughs> it's not a, you know, stop and shop sort of thing. It's a usually a long road to get these guys back, but they often are very successful. So yeah, I know we went over time. We, we when we talk about things we like, we don't stop. <laughs> okay. Can you Yes. Okay, so we do have a couple questions. Um, it's actually probably a good thing we went a little over time. If you guys have just hopped on, we're just finishing up the first talk, which is around rehabilitation. Uh, Dr. Hewlett did have an emergency come in a few hours ago, so it was we we're cutting it a little close on time, but I hear he's just wrapping up. So that's great. We're gonna get to rehab very quickly, but we do have quite a few questions for Becky and Megan. We'll get through some of them here. If you guys have pressing questions that you wanna ask, please put them in the chat comment. Um, or let me know that you want to be brave and come on video either way. So one of them was, can everyone hear me? Yeah, I'm seeing smiles. Yeah, okay, hopefully. Okay, I got a nod. What are some, I was like, all this audio stuff. Um, what are some of the best topicals to use for prevention of injury? Would you use the products on the tendons and stifle area or different products for each area? And this person's question, uh, this person, her discipline is harness racing. I'm going to unmute you guys. Can I take that one? Sure. Um, so I, I was reading this question and I was like, there's nothing really that we can put on top of that's going to prevent an injury. And that's where kind of Becky and I had discussed earlier, nothing can kind of beat a really good conditioning program. So in regards to this, my, my uh, recommendation would be like, if you're a fan of back on track or, um, Oh, what's the hands go is the other one. Um, you can put that kind of stuff on your tendons and ligaments before you go to exercise, usually at least an hour. Um, and that can help warm the area, increase the circulation. And with that in and of itself is going to add a bit of extensibility to your tissues in that area. Um, and then afterwards, the big thing is once you've done a good workout, you can do like, if you're a person that's into, um, I think it's called the freeze mud or dynamite or icing afterwards, it's going to be more important once you've done that big workout is to get the inflammation out of the leg. But um, there is unfortunately no topicals that are actually going to prevent an injury for you. It's going to be doing that progressive conditioning program, incrementally increasing and bettering your fitness. 
kind of think of it as like warming up the diesel on a cold day mm -hmm. just like your warm-up you know that can't replace anything um your good warm-up is is essential yeah. uh the next question that came in i really like this question so whoever asked it uh, it's a good one what are some rehab therapy items that every horse owner should have and can use without a vet or equine sports therapist physically there. So essential at home rehab item. Uh, this, oh. Oh. Are we good now? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry guys. <laughs> I'm um, so excited. This one, I think it's, it's really easy to get super excited about tools because I'm definitely one of those persons, but don't ever look past the importance of the, the, these hands that you were born with. Um, and patience and consistency are going to be huge with your rehab program, but there are things that you can definitely include at home where like pole exercises. Um, there are things there, they're called the CC loops. Um, so basically they're kind of like a mini PEMF machine. Um, and the way they work is if they're this big around, that's about how deep they penetrate. So that could be something useful. Um, I want to say they're in the $300 Canadian range the last time I looked. Um, but those are pretty non-invasive but beneficial. They're used a lot actually in canine rehab um, and post-surgical pain management in small animal. Um, but if you've got a horse that's got an issue that, you know, is chronic or the, just a spot that gets sore, but it's not actually necessarily um, performance limiting, that could be something that you could include in your workout. Ice is also, everybody can grab <laughs> has a freezer. Um, ice massage, like I was saying with the previous one, super important with taking out inflammation. Um, and an equicore system is another thing that I was introduced to at the University of Tennessee. I personally have no experience with the Pessoa, but I know a lot of people have had um, great success with it. My preference with the equicore system, because I come from a Western background, is that there's actually no contact with the mouth, but I obviously that's very important in the English discipline. Um, but the equicore system is a, a belly band. It's kind of like an English saddle blanket that goes either under your saddle or with mine. I have a Western one and I either put it under my saddle or um, I put it on with a surf single. But it's got uh, purposefully textured uh, basically therabands that will go, one goes under the belly and then the other one goes around the hindquarters. Um, and myself, I uh, would not call myself a professional rider by any means, but I do have some horses at home that I like to play around with. And uh, it really, for my personal experience, helps with that collection. Um, and so if that's something that um, you feel would be adequate, it helps engage the core with the belly bend. Um, the hindquarters really helps bring the hindquarter underneath and kind of forces that collection in the front because it's really hard to walk around with your butt tucked under yourself and your back hollowed out like this. Um, so that's another great one that I really uh, like. There's lots of other ones out there, like balance pads and things that you can use. But again, if you've got a horse going through rehabilitation, please make sure that you check with a professional on how to use these things because they actually can cause more harm than good. Um, even because for some horses, they might be okay and other ones, they might not be. Um, so I know we can use things your body or Dr. T's or someone who's out there and shows you how to use these things appropriately, then feel free, please, to go out and buy them and make sure you know how to use them um, so we don't cause harm. What I love is a cold hose. Yep. The, the effect of water is amazing on these structures, and especially for wounds, too. There is some good literature out there for the benefits of hydrotherapy. So um, I think everybody has a garden hose at home. That's You're never wrong to use that as much as you want. Yeah. <laughs> if your horse will stand in a five-gallon pail, you can throw ice in there, too, and get the temperature <laughs> a little bit lower as well. 
Okay, so just a couple more. If you guys do have questions, just drop them in that chat box. Uh, so fitness for a performance horse, you guys kind of touched on this, but let's say we don't have an injury. We, um, we're just a, a regular horse that had a good soundness check to start off the spring. What is considered fit? Give me a minute. Go. Good. <laughs> um, so this one, we kind of touched on it. And I guess the, the part that I didn't go over is we want to start out. Um, you can always start out hand walking. Again, that's never wrong because um, if you look at yourself, if you've sat, you know, we it's not uncommon to give our horses the winter off here and you're bringing them back. And it's like going out for a walk and um, getting your, trying to get your fitness back up versus going out for a walk with a heavy backpack on if you got on your horse's back right away. So if you think about all your little stabilizer muscles that have, um, kind of turned essentially turned into fat over the winter where you haven't been doing anything or being a couch potato they're going to be weak um, and even just going out for a walk can be effective versus putting a 50 pound sack on your back you're going to realize that your posture changes trying to carry that extra weight doing exercise that you haven't done in a while so again I think it's something that's overlooked and something we're really trying to promote with how important conditioning is and making sure we're doing things in a proper posture um, but as your program progresses, you know, you can do a couple weeks of walking under saddle and then start adding in your trot. And over that 12 week span that I had mentioned, it's kind of important to get up to that 45 to an hour long workout with two to three intermittent thing, like, um, sessions of canter throughout that hour and trot work, um, before you start doing sports specific exercises and training. Um, and that being said, there's also, you know, if you're barrel racing, you're going to be going out and breezing your horse, things like that. So I would still wait that 10 to 12 weeks where your horse can do that hour long workout three to four to five times a week before you start doing anything too intense. Okay. Um, two more questions here and then we'll wrap up this portion. We do have some giveaways as well. Um, here is one, where'd we go? Oh, um, do you see foot issues in the hind end relate to SI injury or strain? <laughs> there we go. Now we're good. That is an awesome question. Actually, it's uh, it reminds me. So we had Dr. Scott Fleming from uh, Rudin Riddle come up from Kentucky uh, earlier this fall, and this was the great debate. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we we do encounter often what we call, and actually we had seen it on that podiatry slide with the basically where that coffin bone instead of being flat or tipped up, it's tipped back. And that's what we call a negative plantar angle, and we do see that especially. I see it a lot in the warm bloods. Um, see it in racehorses those sorts of things that, um, but again, that, those radiographs you had seen were on a quarter horse, on a reigning horse, so no horse is immune to it. Um, but, you know, the great debate is basically if we see the negative plantar angles, um, you know, I've, I've had some um, mentors that are very convinced that that radiates up to the stifle and the SI, and then some, um, that you know are not so convinced. So um, in the vet world, I think it's still up for debate. The SI is a very tricky joint to do studies on because it's basically covered by so much soft tissue that it's very hard for us to individualize the motion of it. Um, but I believe, uh, I think it was Sue Dyson had done a paper sort of ruling that out. But um, yeah, the gig is up on that. But I do, I would say that you more so with the negative plantar angles, you are at a greater risk of like a deep digital flexor tendon injury where that is just putting more pull on that structure. So I, ideally you do want to definitely correct those negative plantar angles. Um, so 
Yes. Okay, we have a couple more coming in. Um, Espol says, what is the success rate or chance of a horse being able to perform after having bone cysts within the joint? So for me, um, the thing that I would want to know is where is the bone cyst? So typically we see bone cysts in the stifles, um, but we can also see them in other structures like, um, you know, our cannon bone. So the end of our cannon bone, we can see bone cysts. We can see them almost just like lesions even in the dorsal spinous processes of the back. So they, they can kind of arise in a lot of different places in the body. But again, the most common one that I assume you're talking about is a, is a stifle cyst. Um, and your ability to sort of, you know, treat those is very dependent on the age of the horse. So if we find a young horse where they're still in skeletal development or their bones are still developing and we find one of those, there is some options that we can do that can give them a favorable outcome. So the one thing that we often will recommend is what we call a screw placement. So basically, we're going to have a surgeon put a screw across that bone cyst, which is basically a hole in the bone, and that'll stabilize it. And then it's also promoting bone to fill in that hole so um, and then over time you can either take the screw out or leave it in um, depending on the case but that is actually a quite common treatment that we see in those young guys if it's a horse that's you know 10 or 12 years old and we find a big ugly bone cyst we're much more limited in what we can do since you know the horse is no longer turning over bone as much as when they're growing so it kind of depends on the age of the horse um, you know there is some we call intra-articular drugs we can put in there to try and treat the cysts so sort of try and coat it but there is there has been a lot of different surgical approaches um, tried to treat these sometimes they'll go in and try to fill them with different products um, but yeah in the older horses um, anything over five I think are going to be limited in success with those versus if they're in that you know yearling to four-year-old range. Okay, uh, just a few more. Talia Stevenson, I think this is back to your fitness question, Megan. How long, I think Talia's on every single live <laughs> that we do, which is great, which is awesome. Uh, so how long should your horse be able to lope for if we are calling them fit and how quick should their recovery be? Ooh, um, Talia always gives us the good questions. <laughs> Um, so kind of what's, what's recommended, um, uh, when reading, uh, Hillary Clayton's research is those two to three minute, like I said, um, parts of lope in your cardiovascular, but then again, obviously you're going to go out and you're going to do your breezing. Um, the big thing to keep in mind is you all ride your horses. You have a feeling for when they fatigue. Um, we don't ever want to overdo it. Um, and that's where keeping actually the the idea of what humidity, like humidity, I guess the weather, the humidity and the temperature that you're exercising in, um, in those conditions, your heart's going to be, or your horse is going to be exercising at a higher heart rate and they're going to take longer to recover. Um, so on days where it's more humid and the weather's not working in your favor, I think it would be conscious to obviously have um, lower, or sorry, yeah, less time um, that you're, you're working. Um, but if you're in barrel racing and that's where that um, if you guys have at all listened to the podcast that Dr. Tease and I did earlier this year, I mentioned that it's the uh, sprint work is important with barrel racing being a um, sport that works primarily in your anaerobic system with the lactic acid potential buildup. It's important to do those sprint exercises, kind of a one to six ratio. Um, so I would, 
you know, if you're going in your average barrel pattern, we'll say is 20 seconds, you're going to go and do a 20 second sprint. And then you're going to give two minutes worth of that off at a light jog or a walk. And that's where you can kind of introduce some of your suppling exercises, bending your neck around um, some lateral movement while your horse is recovering from that. And you do kind of two or three rounds of that. You can do um, two or three rounds back to back for two or three sets. And then that, like, I wouldn't do more than that in one go. Does that, does that answer your question? <laughs> There's a couple, I'm going to have to, oh, I'm going to have to, uh, stop our questions pretty quick here. I have one more and then a comment. Uh, the one comment is a uh, side question not to be read aloud, but I'm going to riff off of it. I'm a sports therapist in Quebec wondering if it would be okay to touch base with Megan directly to discuss the program at Tennessee and her integration within your vet practice. Definitely. If any of you have questions or something comes up later on at, for at any point during uh, this virtual zoom, you guys can always send us an email to the office. That's eeoffice at energyequine.ca and we'll disperse the questions as need be but that's that's awesome that's great that uh you're coming all the way from quebec to for our little virtual zoom here in alberta love it bonjour okay uh, um, last question i'm sorry to cut you guys off but we got to get uh we got to get old the old vet on on the uh we got to get you guys a bathroom break and perhaps a cocktail break depending on where you at and then we're gonna get chad on here to talk about re um, regenerative so if a question comes up you could always ask him as well at the end of his talk uh, Natalie Gurney says, is there any connection between quarter cracks and distal sesamoid ligament injuries? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These you are good what? questions. You're doing so good. And I'm like, huh, huh. That sounds like a good question for Matt. Um, off the top of my head, I would say no, but... Um, but I don't want to say that one with much conviction, I guess. Um, I don't know for sure. Um, I guess, like, I'm thinking, she said distal sesamoidian ligament? Okay. So I guess my, I just want to make sure that is she referring to the impar? So there's a couple different sesamoids, and the navicular bone is often considered, a, or it is considered a sesamoid bone. So um, I just want to make sure I have the right ligament in mind. But I would say off the top of my head, no. Um, but I can ask Matt Humpage, who would be a lot better one to ask about this, our farrier. Um, and if I'm wrong, then we will make sure everyone knows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 17. Okay, 17. Jenna Len, I always get your name wrong, Jenna Lenzak. That's one of our body workers. She's on here. You won our first giveaway. This is so weird to do on Zoom. <laughs> this is a, uh, a bucket from our friends at Western D Drug Distributor Center. So WDDC, you guys probably don't know what that is, but it's a very important part of how we live. That's how we get all your drugs and products shipped to us every day if we need something. Um, so they put together this amazing prize pack that was supposed to be given out at our lecture that was canceled. So Jenna, you won some mane and tail, some cookies, brushes, a bucket. Um, we'll have it at the clinic for when the doors open up. I can put it in the Dropbox or we could ship it to you if uh, you're really in need of your Oster brushes sooner than later. <laughs> um, but I'll have that down for you. Okay, guys, we're going to take a quick 10 minute break. I'm going to get Chad set up, which might take longer than 10 minutes, but we're going to try. So depending on where you're at in the world, um, have a coffee break, bathroom break, wine break, whatever you need. Big thanks to Becky and Megan for uh, the first part of our virtual Zoom. First time we've ever done this, I thought it went really well. 
we had over 99 people on here at one point and I thought they did a great job. So great job guys. Thank you for everything. And uh, definitely comment below if you have any questions for Chad coming up in the next lecture. We will be back in 10 to 15 minutes.